Wisdom means that you stay alive longer, supposedly. And it goes back to coming out of a cave and not being eaten because you calculatedly said, well, I'll put a toe out first or whatever. But if you actually just stop asking people, which I find the usual reason why people don't, you know when someone's on the verge is when they're not committed, is when they say, oh, I'm thinking of doing this, what do you think? Welcome to Wisdom, Wealth, and Wellness, a podcast on overcoming behavioral biases and blind spots. Sponsored by Satofsky Asset Management, and this is Jonathan Satofsky. Welcome. This is Jonathan Satofsky of Satofsky Asset Management and podcast version of Seeking Wisdom, Wealth, and Wellness. And I feel honored and blessed to have what I would call an old mate or a good pal that I've met close to a decade ago in Indonesia and a fascinating guy. I think you guys are going to love him. Will Travis from Elevation Barn. Just a little history of Will before... Before we get into it, branding guru for major brands, Coca-Cola, Nike, Netflix, Sony, Intel, you name it. But he came to this concept that I recall of this crisis of confidence and leadership in society. So he decided to create a personal, tell me if I'm saying this correctly, but personal brand building retreat platform that unites diverse industry leaders to swiftly gain a deeper confidence in their personal business and social impact strategies. Did I get that right? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Anyway, I met Will just to you know kick it off in a in a more uh, informal way at what was a week long amazing super green school that really tapped into our kids learning about sustainability, growth, fun. The parents only got like you know the highlights at the end. And I was like, wait a second, I want to sign up for this. This is amazing. And Will ended up, you know, relocating to Indonesia with his kids and going full bore into the green school. So welcome, Will. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me on, Jonathan. It's exciting. So let me just start with uh, what, what do you do? So your podcast description says for every leader, there's an elevation. Hmm. What's an elevation? You know, you say, a moment or a series of moments of clarity to put into action, elevate someone's life or purpose. You know, we elevate through empathy, respect, inspiration, impact, and maybe most of all diversity of thought. But, you know, why do we do it? Maybe you can tell us more about, you know, how you got into it. Cause I actually attended Elevation Barn many years ago. I think it's amazing. I think the whole setup you've got globally is just very powerful and profoundly impactful for, for all leaders particularly knowing that leaders start before they're ready. So maybe you could tell us more about how it, uh, your philosophy of how you got it going. Yeah, I mean, it started with the right way. And that was in a bar. Um, not sure if that's the right way always, but I was sitting with a friend and I was thinking about six other friends. I was thinking about these friends who were at junctions in their lives that were all very successful in their different, their different remits. One was a under motorcycle dealership, one was the CEO of a large corporation, one was a television host, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I feel like they're all hesitating with all their strengths that they've gleaned over the years in life. There seems to be self-doubt. And it, and it just irritated me that we're self-doubting. I'm like, why are you self-doubting? You're awesome. And I sent a note to them. I said to my friend that night, I said, you know, I feel like I should host a retreat. I've never done anything like this before, other than the corporate workshops and the branding advertising world. Why don't I host a retreat for them 
And I'll take them through the process that I would take some of the world's biggest brands. How would I launch a new car for Toyota and give the confidence to Toyota about why this new product or service should go to market and how we make it safe and how we get people to fall in love with it so that they purchase it. I'm like, why don't I do that for people? And I'll do it for these friends. And so I invited them and the next morning, every single one said, I'm in, I need it. I need this space. And I need this space with people that don't think exactly like me. I don't want to sit and listen to somebody telling me what I need to do in life as a coach or a mentor. I just need to reflect through a diversity of thought. So we organized this four-day long weekend away. It was actually then called Sort Your Shit Out. Hmm. This was me and the mates being blunt. And I'm like, guys, you got to sort your shit out. Anyway, we got there and I started taking them through these very simple kind of not they're emotionless because it's not about what happened to you as a little boy and how can we dig deep and find some trauma and try and crush it. It was very much what brings you joy? What's brought you joy since you were a little boy or a little girl all the way up to now? And we, we don't think like that. We don't go, well, you know, I still love riding bikes. Why don't I ride a bike anymore? Let's... It was very simple. It was very straightforward. It was working for me, understanding what assets I had to play with. Then I was asking, what do you really value? What do you really value in life? And it actually came from what brought them joy, not people that are, you know, creative or people that do, you know, that are authentic or whatever. It was like, my values are exploration. My values are friends and family. My values are winning at things that make me feel whatever it was, right? So I could have quickly and directly by joy determine what their values in life were. And I said, if you spend your time doing that, would you be happy? Fuck yeah, I would love to do all that. That'd be amazing. Okay, great. Who do you really admire in the world that makes you drive and, and feel that they've got it cracked? So I could understand where they were going, understand where they were reflecting from. And what happened was I suddenly seen, start seeing these friends' shoulders come back like it was taking a backpack of expectancy off them. Amazing. It was like I'd just taken away. It wasn't why you were CEO or how do you run that dealership or what was your last performance. It was like, what does the little boy inside need? What does the little girl inside need? And how does that show up today? And what I realized at that point was that most of us, the people we engage with today, don't know the little boy or the little girl. And most of the friends we grew up with don't know and connect with us at the level we're at today. They're like, oh, yeah, he's a big flying finance guy or he's a superhero car driver or whatever. But I remember when he used to try on the corner and pee his pants and pick his nose and blah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a moment within an hour of suddenly level setting. This is what brings me joy all the way through my life. And suddenly you feel like this connection. The retreat continued by then going through processes that, again, I would like indirectly always ask questions. And I realized my wisdom then wasn't about what I told people they should do. It was the questions that I asked them. It was the collaborative environment that I provided. It was the means of space and non-judgment that gave them the wings back. And the transformation was mind-blowing. What was even more surprising was by the end of day one, I really realized I need to sort my shit out. 
I thought I was just helping them. I was going to say optimi- it was really optimizing for joy. You know, it's just such a profound concept. Yeah. And you actually don't often, you, it's guilt. You feel guilt often when you're thinking about those things. I have a good concept. A friend told me a while ago that really struck me. He said, you know, it's so easy to be Einstein for others and Mr. Magoo for yourself. So you could see it so clearly for everyone else around you. And you're like, well, wait a second. How come I, I can't get me for me? You know? <laughs> A hundred percent. I'll come back to that in a second because that's really important. What happened was I realized I needed to sort my shit out. And so I actually resigned halfway through a buyout wow. as CEO of a large corporation and decided I needed to do this work. It was it was so rewarding and so elevating. And by the end of it, the guys are like, what do you want to do? And I said, I just want to elevate people. And they're like, great, well, you can be the new Tony Robbins or you can be this. And I'm like, yeah, I just don't need to be a preacher. I don't want to do that work. I just want to be Will. It's not Come about on, can I just be I Will? Just, why, don't, why do I have to be Tony? I want to be me. No, I don't want to be me. I want to be part of a justice league of awesome people yeah. that all think differently. Yeah. So it, for me, it was about the philosophy of the barn raising that made it really different. Why I got my aha was because the seven of us was think were thinking about each other. Yeah. They were giving us perspectives that we don't think about throughout the whole four days. There was moments where you could talk for 10 minutes and the other person couldn't respond. There was moments where you would talk through the power of an object. There's moments where you're sitting and actually just reflecting with your feet on the ground, realizing everything that you see can see you and you have a responsibility in the world grounding stuff there was a process to your point earlier which has evolved through it where i go through and say what is your superpower oh jonathan is spectacular at elevating the clarity of how people should do x y and z in life he's a master at it yeah i had this guy steve lillywhite he was a music producer he was one of the Barnes retreat members in in bali Produced U2, Rolling Stones, blah, blah, blah. Probably one of the biggest legacy music producers in the world. And Steve said, and I just want to work out what my legacy is. I said, but you're a legacy builder. He says, yeah, to your point, I can't do it for myself. And what I realized at that point was that people's superpowers were actually their nemesis. That me as a motivator. Interesting. You try motivating me. That's my job. That's my superpower. So you try and motivate me. It means that I'm weak. I'm not good enough. Right. So I block you. By blocking you, then I actually stop you helping me. And the same goes for this in the retreats. People who are very empathetic or very great at pattern mapping or great, they can't do it for themselves. And you can only do it through diversity of thought that allows you to think in a different way. But you have to learn how to turn your tap off. That's a, it's that's like profound. the people that do that, the great. That's profound. You know, you know, I often talk about the idea of, of trying to help someone with their blind spots. Look, I don't know everything, but if you tell me what you're trying to do and I can see what you're doing, if I can see a blind spot, you'll keep me around. I mean, that's kind of, that was my, right. that was my, that was what I said in 1992 when I started. Cause I, they were like, what the heck am I going to learn from you? You're 22. I'm an Harvard MBA and you know, private equity or hedge fund manager. I said, look, I don't know anything, but if you tell me what you're trying to do, if I could do it and see something that you don't see, I'll be a value. You'll keep me around for a lifetime. That was it, you know? 
But yeah, but I think absolutely. That, I think you. I read something that you said that really. Uh, I, I would love you to maybe this leads into this thought that I don't know where I heard this somewhere. You said the idea of take risks, never go through the front door, or the window, or, or down the chimney are far more exciting. I, I don't know where I read that or I picked that up, but I thought that was a pretty cool um, perspective. Is I understand that the collaboration is more important, but I think that may and may I'm just hypothesizing that your people have a routine, you know? Yeah. They routinely go through the front door. And part of this experience is taking them out of their routines and having them say, wait a second, there's a lot of other ways you can attack this, right? Always. Yeah. Yeah. I failed all my exams at university before I got to, I didn't even get to university. I'd failed all my exams at 18. And my, my stepfather, as I sat in the car, um, you know, the guys next to me had just got to Oxford and Cambridge and I've got these terrible scores. My mom had just passed away. So he was already pretty humbled and feeling down three months earlier. And I'm sat in the car going, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I really let you down. I failed everything. And he sat there for a moment. And he said, will you always face walls through the rest of your life? We all do. The key is always realize if you with the right people, and you back off the wall, there's always a way over it, around it, or under it. Mm. He said, the wall around your boarding school, when you were growing up, I remember you telling me how you rolled over that wall and went out and had your first pint and kissed your first girl. He said, that wall was not an obstacle then. It was part of the journey. It was exciting. Mm. You just got to look at walls like that. And I've used that analogy throughout. And so when we're at a barn, when we're doing the retreat, everybody is allowed to back away from the wall because nobody is standing where you are. They're all looking at the wall from different angles. Yeah. And it allows you to realize there are different ways. The number one thing, though, is you need to commit first and then work it out. And most people work it out and then commit. Commit first and then work it out. So maybe you can tell me a story uh, applying that from your life or your experience. Like, when, is that, would that, yeah. would, would experience be you committing to move your family to Indonesia and just planning yourself there? Or you throw, throw something out at me of a story where you've taken that action and you've seen sort of profound changes for yourself. Yeah. I mean, it goes all the way through my career from climbing Antarctica. I'd actually had back surgery, L4, L5. My disc had popped out. I was, I was knackered and my climbing partner. I'd climbed the highest mountain in Europe, Elbrus. And he said, and he'd done the same. He pulled his back out and he said, well, we need a a goal. He said, "Uh, let's climb the highest mountain in Antarctica, Vincent Massif, minus 40. It's going to be really tough. It's in six months. I'm like, Dude, I just, I just popped a disc. He's like, me too. But if we commit, we'll work out how to fix it. And if we don't fix it, we're going to die out there. Wow. I had around 30 grand in the bank at that point. It cost 25 for the flight. Wow. That's balls. I booked the flight. And then I worked out and trained. I sat in ice baths every week. And my back got the strength. And when I got to Antarctica, sure, it was... Badass hard, but I committed and it worked out because I knew I needed to get over the wall of the back mindset that, oh, that this is it. I can't do this anymore and I can't do that anymore. I had to have a higher level. Even coming to New York, I said to my, my when I was 24, I said to the, the guys I was working in the small design company, my sister had suggested that I move to New York. And I said, 
yeah, that's great. You know, when you're 24, there's less walls. You're just like keen. You know, maybe it's been a man, you're also a bit stupid, but naive. But I was like super hungry. I'm like, oh, I'll go to New York. And I said to them, I said, okay, I'll work it out. I slept on floors. I stayed in a hostel. I used to go to festivals, sleep on the floors with friends, make meetings. And I got enough money and enough clients in New York to stand in Soho on West Broadway and pick a studio and actually open up a, an office there. Maybe. But I committed and then worked it out. And sometimes you overthink. Most the people. older we get, the more we think. Yeah, Most we people. do. We're yeah. supposed to. Wisdom means that you stay alive longer, supposedly. And it goes back to coming out of a cave and not being eaten because you calculatedly said, well, I'll put a toe out first or whatever. But if you yeah. if you just go, I'm going to do it, and then I'll, I'll pivot as I go. And have you found the people that leave the Elevation Barn those four days pick something concrete and commit? And and, and then you see some major transfer. You've seen some major transformations in people's lives over the course of the last five, ten years since you've been at it. Oh yeah, I mean, I haven't had somebody come out of the barn and go, "That didn't do anything ever." Yeah, because the questions are all honest. The process is direct, and it's a. What happens is you have four days looking in the mirror. I was on a dive boat in uh, doing an expedition here in Indonesia last year, and the, the captain of the boat was 16 of us. He was one of the top cinematographers underwater. He said, he said, we're going to be away for 15 days. There will be an arsehole on this boat. And if you want to know who it's going to be, look in the mirror. Wow. And the reality is of four days looking in the mirror through the mirror of friends or people you don't know that see you purely by how you show up, there's nowhere to hide. And so you can decide when I say, when they come into the barn, I say, you've got two stories you can believe. I'm coming to this barn and I'm just going to see what it's like and I'll enjoy four days away and just blah, blah, blah. Or I can come in and say, I'm going to absorb the perspectives of diverse people. I've had rodeo bullfighters, astronauts, stay-at-home dads, nurses, doctors, oceanographers, soil experts, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to listen and I'm going to reflect and see where my story, what my true story is and how it can be elevated. I have well, two I'm, choices. I can pick either story. I'm super excited to reimmerse myself through your wonderful invitation, you know, soon to go back into the Elevation Barn. I did it before, and my experience was, unfortunately, you weren't there, so I didn't get uh, I didn't get the full Will, Tra Will Travis experience, but it was a pretty yeah. profound experience. And, um, and one of the things that came away from it was the importance for me to spend time with my family. So yeah. after that, I immediately booked um, for my family to go on a boat, eight days mm. in the British Virgin Islands, and no cell phones. At the time, my children were 15, 13, and 7. And as you can imagine, 15 and 13-year-olds are 24-7 on technology and computers. And I'm sure running a business and working and handling multi-generational families, you know, money, I'm like plugged in every second. So the opportunity to unplug for eight days, to delegate, to trust my team, and to make sure everything was handled, and also to be totally present for my family, it was the best eight days of our lives as a family because you had to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. There's no, you couldn't be distracted with anything. You had to be distracted by the beauty of nature and where you were. 
So I thank you for that. There's more to the story than that, but I thank you for for that gift of that eight days that wouldn't have happened without the experience in Elevation Barn, even though you weren't there. You know, there, there was something pretty profound that came from it. I, yeah, tried to convince the I tried to convince him to stay on the boat for the next couple of years. I said, <clears throat> what are we going back for? Quick little funny story. We happened to come back on the first week of, I think it was January 2016. Hmm. And it was the worst January in financial market history. The Fed just raised interest rates. Everyone was all chaotic. I hadn't yet turned on my phone. I got on a train to New York City and I saw everyone on the train looking at their phones like it was like a movie you know, like scanners where their veins were popping out. They're like, you know, they're seeing the glow from the, from, from the, uh, from the technology, all green in horror about, you know, whatever they're seeing in the news and the markets. And I'm like relaxed and I haven't yet turned my phone on. I walk into the city and everyone's like the walking dead. And I'm like, the energy here is just wrong. Like we should have just stayed on the boat for a couple of years, you know, and just right. kept, kept sailing, you know, like this was, the way yeah. that, I don't know what living is, but this is not it. You know, whatever they're doing yeah. does not seem right. You know, yeah, right. I mean, that's the same when I came to Bali. I came to Bali for the first time after I was on I was on a buyout, and it was like can't no compete. I came over here with Donna Karen to explore about partnering together. That wasn't going to work, and then I realized that I just needed to be in an environment of different energy. Sometimes you're in the wrong pond, and sometimes you got to get out of the pond to realize that the right energy is there. And, but I still came back to help launch, you know, a new group, a new agency collective two years later. But I realized I'd actually just dug back under the wall. I climbed over. Mm. So when that buyout had finished four years later, I came back. So I'm like, this place gives me space to reflect and look at the world from a distance when you're too close. Yeah. You, you, you've got to have that space. And that's why, that's why what's happening now is we've evolved a whole new chapter of the barn, what we call the stable, where all these brilliant minds from diverse worlds come together to solve grand challenges. Yeah. We're solving business challenges, philanthropic challenges. We're helping our personal challenges. And it, it becomes a real heartfelt, you know, community of now 400 experts from 128 different industries in 48 countries. Wow. That's the LinkedIn collective that I need of people that actually have already been through a four-day process of recognizing the power of a kindred quest versus this hero's journey of isolation and fear and, and not being good enough in whatever world you're in. I think mm -hmm. it's just a wrong system that leadership often gets drained through. So imposter syndrome hits everyone at every stage, it seems. Like. Everyone. Everyone. Yeah, there isn't, you know, I've billionaires, doesn't matter what you do, scientists. And that's why I keep ours, ours is an open source uh, network. It's not just for those that did Harvard or did Oxford or wherever it is or are in the science or the tech space. It's totally open source. And it's also um, totally inclusive of diversity of thought. I want to know, there was a guy, a rodeo bullfighter, and he taught me probably the best lesson I've ever had. And I was asking him, I said, how do you control fear? How do you know you're in control of a situation? He said, I only know I'm in control of the situation when my hand is on the head of the bull. Hmm. He said, I do that 30 times a night. The guy gets thrown off the bull. I get between the bull and the guy on the floor. I put my hand on the head of the bull, and I, we call it dancing. He said, then I'm not using my head, which is all the wisdom I was taught. I'm not using my heart, which is all emotional. I'm using a being that is crafted over millions of years of mm. life form. 
Because the alternative is I try and get on the ball, which means I'm going to get thrown off or I'm going to run away and now I'm target. And I take that into my business. If I, my hand's not on the head of the ball of what's happening, I don't know what's happening. I'm going to be reactive. If I run away, somebody else will take control. If I try and crush everybody and dictate everybody what they should do, they're going to leave. I'd have been upset. Same with my children. If I try and control them, they're going to hate me. And if I try and leave them and go, I don't care. I don't understand TikTok and this and whatever. They meander and they need us. But being there, present, it's like, and I was a bullfighter that came and did the retreat. Amazing. Just holding space for someone is undervalued and very much appreciated thing. And, you know, Great point. I, I, want to, I want to bring bring it back to something else about habits. You know, you know, you're talking about committing and then it's sort of leading to people getting into habits. You know, you, you just, you had to figure out what you need to do to climb that mountain, to heal your back, yeah. to prepare. Otherwise you, you were in a lot of trouble and you, you know, you, you, people are adaptable. The human spirit's adaptable. And you gave the other example of modeling behavior, you know, like who do you respect as leaders? So in finance, yeah. I always use like Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett as good role models. Like what are they doing mm. that they're able to sustain themselves to 92 and 99 and they're still engaged? Like that's pretty cool. So something yeah. struck me that, that, and it gives, it, it leads to your point about space, which when you step back, you see it and you, you know, you really like, wow, how do I, how do I both redesign my, my life for joy, but you don't have to disengage. You can stay engaged and optimize for joy and effective engagement at a pace and rhythm that works for you. So that concept about stepping back is something that actually Buffett and Munger talk about all the time, spending half their time yeah. reading and thinking unscheduled yeah. time, just stepping away from all from your environment, changing the energy, reading, thinking, independent thinking, don't letting any other voices. Like you said, do you think I should climb Mount Everest? And then you'd be like, I'm going to tell you why it's dangerous, you know, to, th yeah. to think for myself and be like, you know, Will wants me to, you know, Will and I were going to climb Mount Everest. Let me just figure out how to make it happen rather than talk myself out of it or find people to talk me out of it. So what habit, yeah. what habit that, what habit have you maybe adopted from all the 400 people that you've met? Is there one habit that stuck out to you that you've changed in the last five years uh, that, you know, uh, that's had an impact on you that might be able to help your kids or future generations? Because I know my own kids aren't going to hear me. Your kids may not hear you, but maybe my kids will hear you and your kids will hear me. Yeah. So, you know, there's something there. There's a habit that you picked <laughs> up from those 400 bits of wisdom that probably could be valuable for some somebody. Yeah, I think, and it goes off the old mention of, say, Warren Buffett, right? How well do you know Warren? Not at all. As a friend. Not at all. Right. So most of us have role models. An image of a role model. Are, yeah. That are romantic. Yeah. And so my real father died when I was six months old. He was the real Willy Wonka. The family, he invents gummy bear, licorice, all sort, jawbreaker, this the whole candy world we started wow. out of the UK, 1860. Wow. I'm the 23rd William Anderson, right? Wow. And um he died on a six-month old. The, the the technology was all about how they made licorices and all these things, and it went bankrupt by the time I was four. Chinese came out with a new technology of candy making. So we were nearly homeless. We were mum was passing furniture over the wall so that we could not get our furniture removed from their house because of no welfare. Lodgers, we used to have lodgers living with us. And she'd even make shepherd's pie out of dog food because we didn't have enough money, right? Wow. So we were really, really basic. I didn't realize any of that mm. as a young boy. 
my role model was my real father, Willy Wonka, William Anderson Shaw. And I always kept into this high esteem. And my stepfather came in when I was four and a half, a headmaster. But he was also later on in life, the mayor of the Ribble Valley. He was knighted by the queen for his contribution to the arts Mm. and to the education system and helping the scouts. Mm. He was a a big hero in our region, but I never valued him. Wow. Because my role model was in my head. It was was a romantic role model. And nobody could reach that level because he had no faults. He could have been, as a real father, beaten me, could have been an arsehole, could have been whatever it was, right? Right. Being totally evasive, not take me anywhere. When my real father died and I wrote his eulogy and I made the asked the, the congregation to applaud him for how he'd applauded children all his life and hold hands, how he held your hand when he talked with you. I realized, oh, my God, that is a real role model. Somebody that is authentically awesome, that somebody hasn't sculpted what you hear and read and follow, you will never be happy. It's like falling in love with a supermodel or whatever it is in a different life, right, that's not real. Nobody else can compete. And what we then do is we create a lifestyle of not being good enough. I'll never be as good as Warren Buffett. Right. I'll never be as good as, you know, X, Y, and Z. But if you actually have role models in life that are the actual beauty and awesomeness of a humble person, if you look for beauty in others and things, not love or joy, love and joy will come from it. Mm. You look at your kid playing and you go, oh, it's a beautiful moment. God, I love you. The bar's lowered because everything is beautiful if you look at it with the right lens. And I think people, my one big aha is lower the, lower the expectancy on yourself. You beat yourself up every day in every dimension. And that's why through the barn retreats, I actually want to know about your physical health, mental health, spiritual health, where your home base is, your finance, your career, your purpose, your relationships. I built my whole career until I was in my mid-30s just about business. Yeah. And when the dot-com crash happened and the IT crash happened, then I was under 9-11. Then my back went from the stress. I just lost my wife through messing around my relationship. My kids were now in England. I was in San Francisco. I'm lying on the floor going, leave me alone. Why? Because I built enough already. I built one leg on my stool of life crushing it as a business person. I was on stage with Philip Stark and doing all these things in the creative industry and chess beating, getting the Rolex, the Porsche. It felt a nothing when all those other legs of the stool had gone. And when I was in that situation of absolute dire need, I said, well, who are the six friends I can turn to to help me out of this? Hmm. People I paid and the ex-wife that I just screwed up the marriage with. Because I was too busy in here, too busy in here. Mm. And I think if you can actually have role models that ground you as a human being, as a person, instead of the distraction of this hero's conveyor belt that just constantly makes you stay in the same place instead of progress, you're Mm. climbing every day just to be in, it's exhausting. Amazing. And I think we need that help. We need someone to hold our hands and say, you know what, especially like, you know, there's now more people filing in America for 
working independently than part of a corporation. We are going to go into that, how you started this chat, a confidence crisis where we're alone. We're lonely. Who are the six legs on our stool? And if you don't know who those six people are that you can rely on, regardless of your financial situation or your career role or whatever it is, if you can't work them out, Mm. you need to. And that's why at the retreat, we have six people that will sit with you, look at you, be there, not humblingly crying and sobbing. You're there as just mates from different dimensions of thought, and it allows you to put those wings out. How do how do we, how do people if they want to sign up for Elevation Barn? How would someone find you? How do people get engaged in this experience? Because it's it, I I think it's you know I think it's life changing, and I think anyone at any stage of life uh, can get a lot out of it. Because you know when you grow up, you're taught success, as you described, is oh have a great yeah. career, have a great job, get the Porsche, you know, have the wife, like you know, you had all the material trappings, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, wait, well, I, I don't something's not connecting, the dots aren't connecting, right? So it, I think and to your point, is, yeah. And to your point, it's like I may it may not be about being more like Warren. It may be I just need eight days with my kids and family on a boat. Yeah. And then that's why we call it eight, we call it 12 degrees of elevation. That's the first step. How do you breathe and then keep doing that? So that you have this constant, don't jackknife, don't do a Tony Robbins and pick up the phone and say, you know, you're the wrong partner. I'm dishing you. Don't want you there when I get home. Well, you're in a wrong environment. We live in a pendulum of emotion constantly. We're supposed to. Yeah. We're supposed to go from hot to cold, self-doubting to ecstatic. And you've got to be in a place where you control the pendulum swing into rational thinking. Right. And that's why, you know, we created this space. How, how does someone find you? Just go to elevationbond.com. has awesome. all the information. Awesome. And then you can actually connect through there. Well, it's been a true honor to spend time with you. The minute I met you out in Indonesia, I was like, man, I, you know, I was looking around a room of like 25, 30 parents, maybe more. And I just, I think I've caught your eye. And I, I sensed that you were, your mind was equally as blown as mine. You were just like, what is happening to our children? Right this? Now? Yeah. this is amazing. You know, so I, I'm grateful for you and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks again yeah, for thanks, being buddy. a guest. And let's keep on elevating leaders for tomorrow. 